Chapter Eighteen of the Last Egyptian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Last Egyptian by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Eighteen Finding a Way. Gerald Winston endured several miserable, uneasy days following that of Lord Consinor's public disgrace. He longed to call upon Aneth, but dared not intrude, and so compromised by sending her a daily gift of flowers. At last, however, he decided to see Mrs. Everingham and endeavor to ascertain Aneth's condition, and whether her father's fault was making her as sorrowful as he feared he found mrs everingham in her rooms in the savoy and was admitted at once i want to ask you about miss consinor he said after he had been warmly greeted for they were good friends and she was glad he had come aneth is very unhappy was the sober reply i can understand her humiliation of course he continued with a sigh although i hoped she would be brave and not take the unfortunate circumstance too much to heart she is young answered mrs everingham evasively and cannot view these things as composedly as we do moreover you must remember that lord consinor's trouble touches her more deeply than any one else unless it is the viscountess he suggested oh the poor viscountess knows nothing of it she passes her time in an exclusive consideration of her own ailments and will scarcely see her own daughter at all do you know gerald i sometimes wonder how the child can be so sweet and womanly when her surroundings are so dreadful i know what you mean he said consinor has always borne a doubtful reputation at home and in past years roan's life has also been more or less disgraceful but the old fellow seems to be conducting himself very properly since he came to egypt and it is possible he has reformed his ways she did not reply at once but sat musing until she asked, with startling abruptness, "'Gerald, do you love Aneth?' He flushed and stammered in his endeavor to find words to reply. Since his interview with Kara, he had confessed to himself that he did love Aneth, but that another should discover his secret filled the big fellow with confusion. "'Why do you ask?' he faltered, to gain time because the girl needs true and loving friends more at this moment than in all her life to come said she earnestly i will be her true friend in any event he returned but i must know more than that persisted mrs everingham tell me frankly gerald do you love her yes well enough to wish to make her your wife in spite of her family's shady history yes he said again looking at her inquiringly then I shall confide to you a great secret, for it is right that you should be apprised of what is going on, and only you, with my assistance, to be sure, can hope to defeat the cunning plot that threatens to separate Aneth from you forever. Thereupon she related to him the details of the interview she had overheard between Kara and the girl, and told of the promise Aneth had made to save her grandfather from disgrace by marrying the Egyptian. "'But this is nonsense!' he exclaimed angrily. "'The man is a fool to wish to force any woman to marry him, "'and a scoundrel to use such means to accomplish his purpose.' "'I know. 
i have discussed this matter with aneth long and earnestly but all in vain she is determined to sacrifice herself to save lord roane from this disgrace and prince kara is inflexible for some unknown reason he has determined to make this girl his wife although he did not talk like a lover and she told him frankly she could never love or even esteem him really it seems incomprehensible i know his reason well enough answered winston moodily he is acting under the influence of the strongest and most evil human passion revenge if you will kindly listen my friend i will relate a bit of romance that should enable you to understand the egyptian's purpose he proceeded to recount the story of hatacha and lord roane adding his grounds for believing that kara had from the first contemplated the ruin of the entire consinor family this is horrible cried mrs everingham indignantly if what you say is true this native prince is himself a grandson of roane and therefore aneth's cousin i have called attention to that fact and he declares it is no bar to his marrying her I imagine his real meaning is that the relationship is no bar to his prosecuting his nefarious plans. Does Lord Roane know of this proposed sacrifice of his granddaughter for his sake? No, and Aneth has made me promise to keep the secret from him. I cannot see that he would be able to assist us in any way if he knew all that we know. Perhaps not. Is the story true? Has Roane actually embezzled this money? I do not know it seems to me said the young man thoughtfully that our first action should be to discover the truth of kara's assertion he may have trumped up the charge to work upon aneth's feelings and lead her to consent to marry him against her will that is true she said how can we investigate the matter very easily i will go to-morrow to the rosetta barrage and examine the embankment afterward i can look up the records and discover what sort of contract this man mcfarland had and how much money he collected for its execution that will give us the truth of the matter and i can accomplish it all in two days time then go but make haste for every day is precious we do not know when the prince may call upon aneth to fulfil her promise they discussed the situation a while longer and then winston withdrew to prepare for taking the early morning train the second evening after he again called upon mrs everingham well she inquired eagerly what did you discover it is all true he answered despondently the swindle has been very cleverly consummated and in just the way kara explained it to aneth there is no doubt of lord roane's guilt neither can we doubt that kara has both the power and the will to expose and imprison him if it suits his purpose to do so then said mrs everingham firmly we must find another way to save aneth the poor child is heartbroken and moans every moment that she is left alone with her misery lord roane tries earnestly to comfort her for i am sure he loves her as well as one of his character is capable of loving but he imagines she grieves over her father and does not suspect the truth is she still resolved upon keeping her promise he inquired yes and that in spite of all i can say to move her the girl has a gentle and loving nature but underneath it is a will of iron and a stubbornness such as the early martyrs must have possessed she holds her own happiness as nothing when compared with her grandfather's safety then what can we do he asked pacing the floor nervously 
we must resort to a cunning equal to Kara's in order to induce Aneth to break her foolish promise, responded Mrs. Everingham promptly. I fear I do not quite understand, he said, stopping before her to read her countenance for the clue. I think, nay, Gerald, I am certain, the girl loves you, for I have questioned her skillfully during your absence and led her to speak of you, watching her tell-tale eyes as she did so. In my opinion, it is this secret love for another that makes her sacrifice so grievous, and will end in breaking her heart. He blushed like a girl at hearing this, but was evidently reassured and delighted. Yet I do not understand even now, Mrs. Everingham, he said. It is not so much that you are as stupid as that you are a man, she answered, smiling. You must become the instrument to save Aneth from herself. In a few moments I shall take you to see her. Her rooms are just across the hall, and doubtless she is at this moment alone, Lord Roan having left the hotel an hour ago. This evening I will give you countenance, but thereafter you must play your own game, and do your utmost to draw from Aneth a confession that she loves you. When you have done that, our case is won. Why so? Can't you see, Gerald? No right-minded girl would ruin the life of the man she loves to save her grandfather from the consequences of his own errors. If she is in the mood to sacrifice, we will let her sacrifice Lord Roan instead of herself or you. Oh, he said blankly, I can't do that, you know, Mrs. Everingham. Why not? It would not be honest or fair, and it would be selfish in me and— and unmanly. But I am not thinking of you at all, sir, except as the instrument. I am thinking of Aneth and her life's happiness. Are you willing, on your part, to sacrifice her to such a man as Kara, that he might crush her to gratify his revenge? No, but will you permit her in her blindness and folly to break her own heart and ruin her own life when you know that you can save her? No. The struggle is between you and Kara. Lord Roan is a felon, and to save him from the penalty due his acts will be to merely postpone the day when another of his criminal misdeeds will be discovered. There is little possible redemption for a man who has attained his sinful years, but if the possibility did exist, the price would be too high. Opposed to the desirability of shielding this reprobate nobleman and giving Kara his way, which simply means Aneth's ruin, we must consider your mutual love and the prospect of a long life of happiness for you both. Do you dare to hesitate, Gerald Winston? I will do exactly as you say, Mrs. Everingham, he replied impetuously. I can't let her go to this fiend, to the terrible fate that awaits her. Tell me what to do, and I will obey. Your first duty will be to come with me to her room, and drop that long face sir be cheery and light-hearted and woo aneth as tenderly as if you were wholly ignorant of the dreadful position she is in arrange to call again to-morrow and in the future do not leave her alone for a single evening and haunt her at all hours of the day remember that time is precious and the situation demands all your skill and diplomacy it cannot be a long siege you must determine to capture her by attack i-i'll try he said nervously and so he met Aneth again, for the first time since her trouble had come upon her, and he performed his part so creditably that Mrs. Everingham had but little fault to find with her coadjutor. The sight of the girl's swollen eyelids and her sad and resigned expression of countenance 
so aroused his loving pity and indignation at the cruel plot that had enmeshed her that he could scarcely restrain the impulse to declare at once his love and entreat her to give him an immediate right to protect her perhaps aneth read something of his love for her in his eager face for she joined with mrs everingham in sustaining the flow of small talk that was likely to prove her best safeguard and in this way was led to forget for the moment her cares and fears she hesitated a moment when gerald proposed to bring her a new book next afternoon but finally consented therefore he left her feeling more buoyant and hopeful than he had thought could be possible a few short hours before from that evening his former shyness disappeared and he pushed his suit with as much ardor as he dared utterly ignoring aneth's evident desire to restrain him from speaking too plainly but sometimes she too forgot her impending fate and gave way to the delight of these happy moments already she knew that gerald loved her for her woman's instinct was alert and at night she lay upon her bed and wailed miserably because the gates of paradise had suddenly opened before her and her willing feet were so bound that she might not enter during these days lord roane devoted much of his time to his grandchild treating her with almost reverential tenderness and striving in every possible way to cheer her spirits the old man realized that his probation might be short at any moment Carl was liable to fulfill his threat and expose him to the authorities, and involuntarily he caught himself listening at all times for the footfall of the official coming to arrest him. He even wondered why he had escaped so long, knowing nothing of the manner in which Aneth had saved him. And the girl, noting his loving care for her and marking the trouble that often clouded his handsome face, was encouraged in her resolve to carry out her compact with Kara rather than see her aged grandfather thrust into prison humiliated and disgraced between her awakening love for gerald winston and her desire to save the family honor the girl was indeed in pitiable straits yet never for a moment did she hesitate as to which way the path of duty led she felt that every day she remained unmolested by the egyptian was a precious boon to be grateful for yet always she dreaded kara's summons however he was in no hurry realizing the bitterness to her of these days of waiting and enjoying the prolongation of her sufferings all the love that kara had formerly borne the girl seemed to have dissolved as if by magic and in its place had grown up schemes for so horrible a vengeance that he often wondered whether hatatcha herself might not have hesitated to accomplish it but kara did not hesitate the very diablerie of the thing fascinated and delighted him and he anticipated the event with eager joy tadros spent much of his time at the hotel in charge of kara's elaborate system of espionage his functions as dragoman gained for him special privileges and the hall porter allowed him free access to the lobby yet he was only able to enter the upper halls when he could plead some definite errand this excuse was provided by a guest of the hotel an agreeable frenchman who was in kara's employ and maintained a surveillance over the interior of the establishment while a half dozen arabs and copts watched carefully the exterior thus tadros was enabled to keep in close touch with the movements of lord roane and aneth as well as to spy upon those who might visit them and his orders were to report promptly to kara any suspicious circumstances which might indicate that his victims were planning their escape but from the dragoman's reports all seemed well and his prospective prey apparently made no effort to evade their fate kara depended much upon aneth's delicate sense of honor and her strength of character and read her so truly that there was little chance of her disappointing him 
roan however caused him a little uneasiness and the egyptian's spies shadowed him wherever he went but kara misjudged the old gentleman if he supposed that roan would tamely submit to aneth's sacrifice had he known her secret the girl understood him better and although she did not know of his indignant rejection of kara's offer to shield him at the expense of his granddaughter's happiness aneth knew that if roan learned the truth he would at once give himself up to justice in order to save her and here was a danger the clever egyptian had not even suspected in many of his dealings roan was doubtless an unprincipled knave but certain points of character were so impressed upon his nature through inheritance from generations of more noble consignors that in matters of chivalry his honor could not be successfully challenged the dragoman said nothing to kara about winston's frequent visits to aneth during his hours of watching tadros involved in reflection and these musings encouraged a growing resentment toward his master that destroyed much of his value as a confidential servant aside from the resentment tadros was afraid of kara and also uneasy as to his financial condition the prince who was accustomed to scatter money with a liberal hand had of late refrained from exhibiting a single piastre tadros wondered and grew suspicious one evening as he reported to kara he said the tradesmen are clamoring for their money they say you are not paying them as promptly as you did heretofore kara looked up with surprise is not my credit good he inquired for the present yes replied the dragoman but it will not remain good unless you begin to pay for all the magnificence you are putting into this villa i see said kara nodding thoughtfully they are fools my tadros but they might become troublesome keep them satisfied with promises for a time longer that should not be a difficult task tadros looked at him distrustfully tell me my prince have you spent all your treasure he asked the egyptian smiled if i should live a thousand years my tadros he returned i could not spend the half of it then why do you not pay these merchants because i have at this time no more money in the bank and it is not convenient for me to leave cairo just now to secure a further supply oh i see remarked the dragoman heaving a sigh of relief you must make another trip to feda kara gave him one of those intent thoughtful looks that always made tedros uneasy but when he spoke his voice sounded soft and pleasant what causes you to think my treasure is at feda my good friend he asked the tone reassured the dragoman it stands to reason my prince that it is there he answered with frank indifference do i not well remember first seeing the papyri in your house and afterward carrying away from there the heavy traveling case that was filled with the precious gems ah was it of course kara how else could you give so many ancient gems to the vanderveens to recut or turn so many more into money by selling them to andaloft the jeweler you have been observant my tadros it is natural i am no fool but if as you say there is more treasure at feda i will undertake to keep the rascally tradesman quiet until you can make another deposit in the bank kara was still reading the countenance of his dragoman it is quite evident that you are no fool my tadros he said softly yet i had not imagined you capable of so much shrewdness and wisdom look you feda consists of a rock and a few stone houses cemented with nile mud it is familiar to you being your birthplace as well as my own now where do you suppose within the limits of that simple village a treasure could have been discovered 
it has puzzled me acknowledged tedros but i suppose you do not wish me to know the exact location nevertheless it is evident that the treasure is a very ancient one and therefore it must have been hidden by your forefathers in the mountain itself or perhaps on the desert that adjoins the village a long buried and forgotten temple eh tedros oh no a tomb of course they did not keep pearls and rubies in the temples only in tombs could such trinkets be found that is why i believe your statement that you are the last descendant of the great kings of egypt for this tomb was not discovered by accident i know the secret of its existence must have been handed down through the generations hatatcha knew of it and told you of it before she died so it is your personal property and its possession proves your noble blood i am glad the treasure is ample for at the rate you are squandering money it would otherwise soon be exhausted very wisely argued indeed said kara i wonder how much of my inheritance has already found its way into your own pockets not too much you may be sure answered the dragoman gravely i am very honest and take only my rightful perquisites it is better that these trifles should go to me than to strangers for i am your own kinsman and almost as pure an egyptian as yourself true i do not complain my tadros but in acquiring my money you should take care not to acquire too much knowledge of my affairs with it for such knowledge is liable to prove extremely dangerous consider the pearls of wisdom that have even now dropped from your lips must they not be repaid and already i am greatly in your debt you are talking riddles growled the dragoman uneasily tell me what you mean in plain words do you remember the day that Nephthys broke her water jar? Yes. You struck me, your prince, and knocked me down. Well, you choked me afterward. That should even the score. Not quite. I choked you for spying upon me. That was another offense. The blow has not yet been accounted for. Tadros frowned. I do not bear grudges myself, he muttered. There are a few other matters scored against your account, continued Kara. Still, so long as you serve me faithfully, and I have need of you, I shall not exact a reckoning. But they stand on record, my Tadros, and some day the account must be balanced. Do not forget that. For these reasons, and remembering that you have declared yourself no fool, I am certain that you will admit you were wrong about the location of my treasure. When you think it over, you will conclude that it lies in Luxor, or abydos or perhaps is a myth altogether and never has existed and when you chatter to others no mention of a hidden tomb or temple will be permitted to pass your lips i am quite sure you will be circumspect and i trust you to keep to yourself the secret of my affairs if i thought you would betray me i would kill you now instead of waiting but you will not do that you are too fond of living and of the money you are saving to hazard losing both tadros returned to his duties in a very thoughtful mood in playing upon his fears kara had overreached himself and made the dragoman so much afraid that he believed his life hung by a thread therefore he sought most earnestly for a way of escape from the thrall of his terrible countrymen the following morning gerald winston on leaving mrs everingham after a conference concerning their plans met tadros face to face in the corridor of the hotel he recognized the man at once as kara's dragoman and confidential servant Moreover, he suspected that the fellow had just come from the Consinor apartments, so he had no hesitation in accosting him. "'May I speak with you a moment in private?' he asked. "'Most certainly, sir.' 
Winston led the way into Mrs. Effingham's drawing-room, where the lady greeted his return with surprise, but a quick appreciation of the importance of securing an interview with Kara's confidant. "'You are Prince Kara's dragoman, I believe?' began the Englishman. "'Yes, Winston Bay. "'And devoted to him personally, of course.' "'To an extent, naturally,' returned Tadros, hesitating what to say. "'You see, he pays me liberally.' Winston and Mrs. Everingham exchanged glances. Then the lady took up the conversation. "'Prince Kara,' she said in a stern tone, "'is a scoundrel, being even now engaged in perfecting one of the most diabolical plots the mind of man has ever conceived.' Tadros did not reply. It was not his business to deny the charge. "'Our desire and intention to defeat this plot,' she continued, "'lead us to speak with you frankly.' We must save Miss Consinor from an ignoble alliance with your master. Tadros listened carefully. To accomplish our purpose, we are willing to expend a great deal of money, enough to make some faithful ally comfortable for the remainder of his life. A pause followed this significant statement. Tadros felt the effect of their scrutinizing glances, and cleared his throat while he looked swiftly around to make sure they could not be overheard. Then, reassured, he answered with his native bluntness of speech. I am willing to earn this money, said he, if you will show me how to do it with safety. Kara is a fiend. He would not hesitate to kill all three of us if he had reason to suspect we were plotting against him. I will give you a thousand pounds, said Winston, if you will tell us what you know of Kara's plan. I will give you two thousand pounds additional if we succeed in saving Miss Consinor. Tedros was pleased. He had intended to break with Kara anyway. To be well paid for doing this was a stroke of good fortune. I accept your offer, he replied, but I must inform you that there is no time to be lost. I have just taken a message to Miss Consinor, telling her to be ready to go to Kara at nine o'clock this evening. This evening? exclaimed Winston, alarmed. And what was her reply? She assured me that she would keep her compact with the prince and be ready to accompany me at the hour named. I am to call for her and take her in a closed carriage to Kara's villa. "'And then?' asked Mrs. Everingham, eagerly. "'Then there is to be a mock ceremony of marriage, "'which is intended to entrap the young lady "'so that she will think everything is regular "'and will make no disturbance,' answered Tadros calmly. "'A copt named Michael, who is one of Kara's servants, "'is to be dressed as a priest and perform the Coptic marriage service, "'which is a Christian function not unlike your own. "'But the man is not a priest, and the marriage will be illegal.' the intention is to destroy the young lady's good name after which kara will drive her away then he intends to deliver her grandfather lord roan over to justice what a dreadful crime exclaimed mrs everingham indignantly and annette is sacrificing herself because she believes the act will save her grandfather that is kara's promise returned the dragoman but he has no intention of keeping it did he not give her a forged copy of roan's receipt for some reason my prince aims at the ruin of the entire consinor family the young lady's father he has already disgraced and driven from cairo i understand his motive said winston and believe you are right in claiming that kara will not spare lord roan once aneth is in his power the danger is terrible and imminent for nothing will move aneth to abandon her purpose she imagines she is saving roan and has exacted from us a promise not to tell the old gentleman of her sacrifice so our hands are tied it seems to me, declared Mrs. Everingham, after a moment's thought, 
that we must use the self-same weapons in fighting Kara that he is employing. With the dragoman's assistance, it ought to be easy to save Aneth even against her will. "'In what way?' inquired Gerald earnestly. She did not reply at once. Instead, she studied the dragoman's countenance with steadfast eyes. "'What is your name?' she asked. "'Tadros, madam.' Will you follow our instructions faithfully, and not betray us to Prince Kara? Yes. I hate Kara. He will kill me for deserting him if he gets the chance, but then he intends to kill me anyway as soon as he can spare my services. If your plan includes the murder of Prince Kara, I shall be very glad. It does not, but we will protect you from any harm, rest assured. Your task is simple. When you call for Miss Consinor tonight, you will drive her, not to the Prince's villa, but to the embankment where you will place her on board Winston Bay's Dahaba. It will lie opposite Rhoda on the west bank. Cross the Gezira Bridge and drive as rapidly as possible to the boat where we shall be waiting to receive you. My Dahaba, cried Winston, astonished. To be sure. You will have everything in readiness for a voyage up the Nile with a prisoner aboard. A prisoner? Yes, Aneth. She will, of course, refuse to go willingly, having given Kara her word. I will accompany the party as her keeper, and we must find some way to induce Lord Roan to join us also. Once afloat on the mysterious river, Kara will have no means of knowing what has become of his victims, and, but before we return, my friend, we shall have perfected such arrangements as will render the prince's intention to marry our Aneth impossible. That is why I desire Lord Roan to join the party. He will also be safe from Kara for a time." I understand you now, said Winston, and while I do not see quite to the end of the adventure, the plan will at least give us some time to formulate our future action and enable us to thwart Kara's immediate schemes. That is my idea, she returned. Something must be done at once, and by abducting Aneth we gain not only time, but save her temporarily from the consequences of her own folly. Then she turned to Tadros. What do you think of my plan? she asked. It is excellent, said he except for one thing. There are several spies about this hotel, who would at once follow us and inform Kara that we had boarded the Dahaba, but I think I can find a way to throw them off the scent. They are under my orders, and I will send them to other stations before nine o'clock. Aside from this, then, do I understand that my only duty is to deliver the young lady on board the Dahaba? That is all we ask. I will show three red lights, said Winston so that you cannot mistake the exact location of the boat. I know the boat, replied the dragoman. Abdallah, your engineer, is a friend of mine. You will not fail us? asked Mrs. Everingham anxiously. All depends on you, Tadros. I know, and I will not fail you, he said. I believe you will earn the three thousand pounds, remarked Winston significantly. As for that, sir— replied the dragoman with dignity. I hope you will give me credit for a little humanity as well as cupidity. Being an Egyptian, I love money. Being a man, I am eager to assist a woman in distress. But above all else, I shall have pleasure in defying Kara, who hates me as heartily as I hate him. Thus three passions vouch for my fidelity—love, pity, and hatred. Can you doubt my devotion to the cause?' After this he went away, leaving his fellow conspirators to plan the details of the evening's adventure. End of chapter 18